I, I had this like, I'll come back semi-fluent and <laughs> I did no such thing. It was so challenging. <laughs> We would like to acknowledge that we are on stolen Yuggera and Turbul lands, and as settlers of colour, we reflect upon the damaging legacy of colonisation. Always was, always will be. My name is Aaliyah. Um, I am a theatre maker, mostly uh, backstage. I guess my work over the last few years has definitely centred on theatre um, that shares personal and real stories mm. of people and particularly um, people whose stories haven't been heard in an Australian um, context and voices that haven't been heard. Right. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of work that I do. That's really nice to hear because that's um, very much aligned with the purpose of this space itself. Um, I am imagining that you perhaps grow tired of explaining dramaturgy uh, or what it is, but would you be able to give us an introduction? So the kind of work that I do yeah. in that space? Yeah. yeah. So with the theatre that I've made, we often come into the space with very little. So there's no script. Um, there's uh, sometimes a group of people or we even search out, we kind of find a group of people that we want to work with. Mm. Uh around maybe a story, some kind of story that we want to tell. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the starting point. Uh, and then I work with people uh, to help them work out what they want to say to an audience um, and what story they might want to tell. Mm -hmm. And if it's a group of people, how do those stories uh, fit together? Uh, so last year um, at the... Uh, sort of beginning half of the year, I worked on a program called uh, Where We Meet mm. um, with Kitch and Eve. Um, Eve is a uh, Maltese opera singer. Right. Uh, and she really wanted to speak about the experience of losing a lot of cultural connection through, um, I guess, uh, racism that forced her family to whitewash a lot mm. of their past. Uh, and then she told her story alongside um, Kitch, who is a Samoan beatboxer. Wow. And when I came into the space, um, at that point, Eve had written a bunch of stuff and Kitch didn't really know what he wanted to speak about. But And they also really didn't know how the stories connected. Mm. They had a sense that there was something there yeah. Um, but they didn't really know what. And Eve had this sense that there was something there in her lack of culture and his strength in culture okay. and the depth of um, his cultural practice that he um, was part of and maintained. Um, because Kitsch, he uh, grew up in mostly um, from like the age of um, eight or a young age. He grew up in Australia mm. and he'd lost a lot of connection to cultural practice. Um, but then he had gone on this big journey um, on re of reconnecting with his cultural practice and is now a high-talking chief for his community. Okay. Um, yeah, so with them, we spent a lot of time talking, sharing stories, sharing music, this sort of thing, yeah. until we found that a, the thing that brought them together was both having young kids right. and questioning which parts of your culture do you pass on, particularly when 
you or they are second or third generation. Yeah. Um, and so that became the starting point for the story that they told. And the, the I guess, the gaps that Eve was finding in that journey where she didn't have those cultural practices to pass on mm. and the richness that Kitsch was finding in that journey of things to pass on. Um, and within that, they then uh, composed a number of songs each that fit within that and performed together, right. um, which again had this kind of uh, moments of real connection togetherness but moments of clash in terms of um, the opera and the hip-hop world coming together Um, and they're very different musical practices but then some of their similar ways of looping and using um, digital loop stations as part of their work all right yeah it was cool nice (laughs) I I have a a, an older hat of, of being a live vocal looper performer so that that's really nice to hear about so that was that um kitsch uh, working with loops, both and, of and them. The be- okay, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, opera, looped opera. Wow. Or I guess you know someone with opera training okay. and looping singing. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Kitsch does a lot of looping um, in some of his solo performance. Right. Work. Right. And so it's it sounds like your work deals with both the spoken word, the voice, and musical aspects. Is that right? Um, in the in that last production, the music was a part of it. I love music, but I don't necessarily have um, (laughs) particular skills in it. So really, I um, that was their foray that they brought to that Mm -hmm. piece. But I guess in describing that work, that's kind of a long way of telling you a bit about that process of, I guess, the role that I do is coming in, working with people to... um, often working with people to work out what they want to share and how that fits together and then how that fits on stage and how we bring it to life in the setting of the theatre. Because often the people I work with, even if maybe they're performers, they're not theatre performers. So it's about then bringing it into this, the magic of the theatre and the stage. Right, right. And often if these are stories that haven't been told, they're running through this process for the first time and you're you're sort of bringing this process, you're bringing them into your process and they're bringing them in and they're bringing you into theirs. Yeah, definitely. And there's like a lot that's challenging. You Like in that kind of setting where you develop a show, you also learn a lot in the performing of it. But there's a lot that's challenging around what do, what do we want to share? How do we make it not just we must share stories of trauma which is sometimes what happens right and how do we um yeah work out one what you're comfortable sharing with an audience what you're comfortable sharing in the rehearsal room um how do you share what you want to in the space of an hour right you know every one of us has so many stories to tell um and particularly when there's that pressure of external like of general media and the way that it presents stories of migration, belonging and um, difference. Mm. There's this pressure that (laughs) that you have to really, or this weightedness that gets put on sharing um, that story and how you're going to 
hopefully change right. some of the discourse around that. Right. So, yeah, choosing which stories those are um, is really challenging in lots of ways. Can you tell me about that weightedness? What does that feel like? I guess that, um, yeah, I, with underrepresentation, I think particularly in the neighbourhood, there was, you know, um, and the precursor to the neighbourhood was a show called The Village. Um, and both of those pieces, um, Le Boite was really interested in uh, how terrible Australia's um, immigration policy is when it comes to refugees mm. and how negatively refugees are portrayed. Right. So they were really interested in continuing to make theatre that shares the real stories mm. of people from refugee backgrounds um, or their children and families and um, doing that to try and change that discourse, doing that until those things shift and change. Mm. Um, so I guess, you know, in that setting, people are telling their personal story, but they're not only telling their story. There's this weightedness of the community that have those shared experiences with them mm. um, and wanting to make positive change mm. through the sharing right. of your story, even if telling your own story is challenging or difficult. Right, right. And you mentioned racism and whitewashing. Is there also some of the migrant model, model migrant myth that plays out in these narratives as well? Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, with the neighborhood, one of the things that was really um, beautiful mm. was that we had a really big range of people. So for that production, when we were thinking about who we wanted to bring in, yeah. we decided we wanted um, to bring in artists, people with their own arts practice, yeah. um, to be a part of that production. But also um, we wanted to bring in both migrants and refugees and people who might um, be seen as first or second generation yeah. within that space yeah. um, or even third generation. Mm. And we also wanted a cross-section of different ages okay, and right. generations. Yeah, so yeah. what we ended up with, you know, we had um, Anissa Nandala, mm. who's a spoken word poet um, and now a, a comedian, yeah. stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's killing it. <laughs> yeah, he's doing incredibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, who had quite... Uh, a critical lens of the impact that whiteness mm. um, and ideas of whiteness linked to beauty mm. and these sorts of things had had on her um, and her life growing up yeah. in regional Queensland. Right. And also what it meant to have that, that pressure of some her um, mother coming and wanting a better life for them but then the real impact of racism here. So that was, you know, her experience or journey. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, uh, there was Sia Vash, who is an older um, Iranian man, and he was a political pr prisoner in Iran. And for him, he really carries, I guess, that model migrant ideal of like how grateful he is in the safety that he has found here and sometimes um 
almost looks away from some of the more difficult parts of that experience. Mm. But even just in those two people, um, keeping in mind there were eight different people on stage, but even just in those two people, we had those really different ideas of like someone who was really angry yeah. at the society here right. and um, that these ideas of a model migrant and how problematic they were um, and someone who in many ways fits, <laughs> you know, into the that space. Right. Um, yeah. So, I think that what was really powerful in that production was, and I guess all of these works is, also how those two um, stories intersect um, and then what we learn from seeing the intersection of different stories. Right, right. Yeah. And so to zoom out from that, that The Neighbourhood was a, a production that uh, was also closely tied to a, a group called Obscure Orchestra, is that right? So um, Matt Shu, who yeah. runs Obscure Orchestra, um, yeah. was one of the performers in the neighborhood okay. um, and shared his own experience right. um, through stories and music mm -hmm. um, of growing up um, Taiwanese Australian yeah. and what that meant for him. Right. Um, so then after the production, he wanted to capture a bit of that energy of those eight performers all together um, and the production that we'd made and he composed um, a song and got the eight performers to contribute um, maybe a verse yeah. or a po piece of poetry or a rap or a song um, to make the video and the, uh, yeah, the song. Right, right. And what was the what was the production like creating that piece of work? Uh, after after the theatre production, there was the video production, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was so fun. We, yeah, he did a great job of getting different people in or going to their house and filming a little bit. Um, and me with my terrible <laughs> camera skills, was <laughs> he was like, Aaliyah, can you come? All you have to do <laughs> is just point and press record. And I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. And yeah. also because... Uh, I can't quite remember the timing, but, you know, we went from that production, you have, so we were together 24-7, it was incredible, and then um, a lot of the uh, locked down reg regulations had yeah, come in, right. so it was a really, and we had had ideas of trying to tour the work, which obviously never were able to happen. It's but incredibly it was, challenging in <laughs> itself. Yeah, I mean, just putting on one show. Yeah, is, 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 and is particularly it? with eight. Um <laughs> people as yeah. part of it <laughs> yeah. but we yeah we hadn't had a chance to catch up and see each other uh -huh. um that much right so doing the filming was a really nice way right. for, to see right. everyone again okay um yeah. And uh, um, we're just about to watch or listen depending on which medium you're catching this on the this piece of work but I can see in the production that there was studio recording going on inside a big uh, otherwise empty theatre? Was that how... So the actual sound for the piece was recorded in the space itself? Is that how it worked? Yeah. So um, the the theatre space is La Boite and that's where we had done the Neighbourhood yeah. um, production a few months earlier, um, which is a big roundhouse house theatre. Yeah. Uh, and because of that relationship that Matt had with the company, they let um, him use that space for free. Right. And so um, he brought different people in throughout the uh, week and 
he, he, I don't know, I don't personally understand how it works, but he does this kind of filming where he'll overlay the different footage so that it yeah. looks like there's million a million versions of him. That's right. Yeah. And <laughs> all the different people there next to each other when actually they're recorded separately. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is very cool and fun, um, particularly as he's someone who plays so many instruments. So, <laughs> yeah. it allows him to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, it was really nice to be back in that theatre space um, together and sharing that story where those, like, little snippets of the stories that had been shared as part of the production. Okay. Let's have a listen to Welcome to the Neighbourhood. This is why I left home. No freedom of speech back home. No basic human rights back home. State-sanctioned violence allows police officers to brutalize black bodies back home. Bleed out on the pavement back home. Constitutions are rewritten so legal justice is impossible back home. Living is dying and dying is living when the circumstances are so bad you can't tell the difference back home. But justice is just this simple. If there's no justice for everyone, then there's justice for no one. So my home is your home, is her home, is our home. And when home is a place we can't bear to go anymore, then hope becomes a place that we must learn to live. Welcome to the neighborhood. Walk with me and see what's good. The memories. Welcome to the neighborhood. This is for 83 bombs dropping on the street Mom's rocking me to sleep knowing that she had to leave This is for the first day, third term, grade three Skinny little me couldn't speak knowing Lisey This is for the fun you made, now we're getting plenty praise For the way we use it in English on a day to day This is for the intro, no further info Run and tell your kinfolk, them boys that bring hope This is for steel doors and concrete walls This is for no sleep, stress level so deep I can feel the cold heat, listen when they don't speak This is just a warm up, nowhere near hot yet Being it's for Matt's mix, this is just a rain check How does a plane jet? I ain't said my name yet Ima, Bache, Yashoja, Shahid, Yashoma Kidara, Aki, Deya, Jang, Bada, Dolar
also got a vision of the future and it's coming quick The people are arising, they won't take this shit These are symptoms of a system, it was built like this And yes, you benefit Black bodies stand for glory, you gon' understand Make our way back to the moment that they took this land Shed light on truth, I'm telling you, so tell me those who are gone and remember why we fled our homes, where they held back our speech and actions, a syndrome of a supremacy built to destroy our bodies and erase us for good. Our spirits will transcend hardships to find shelter in this neighborhood. This is where we will make our homes. Ah, beautiful. Welcome to the neighborhood. How how long did you have in the theater to make that? Um, I think it was over a week. We, oh, okay, right. We came in on different days um, and did recording. <laughs> that makes sense because I look at that and I see so many takes. <laughs> to get, to, you get the master shot and then every one of those shots in between. Did we, did we also see a shot? Were you dressed in white yes. and all over the place <laughs> filming the close-ups? Yeah. There was this master thing. Okay, right. Um, yeah, as I listen back to it for the second or third time now, I can hear a bit more of that reverb of the room and the drums, but the vocals are just like such a nice like studio vocal kind of sound considering they were on a, uh, in a recorded in that way in such a in such a large space. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And I love, I do love visually as a theatre person, each layer of the music being represented by, you know, like there's three little Aurora, little Christies at the back. Okay, um, yeah. Because there were three um, vocal layers within the... Uh, chorus, okay. like harmonies, right. three harmonies. <laughs> so it's all, all the sonic representations. <laughs> yeah. Represented visually. There is so much going on in that. I don't, it's like, I don't know, more than 10 mat shoes in there, I yeah. think. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I've occasionally done it, but yeah, it's quite a technical thing to go in and mask all of that and line up all your shots and make sure that like different characters aren't crossing over there their uh, supposed individual space. So it's it's a really nice, um, I love that kind of can-do attitude of like, oh, here's a camera, yeah, yeah shoot it, let's let's just make it happen with, you know, we've got the space, let's let's go and do this. Um, you said the village preceded that, the neighbourhood show. Can you tell me about 
Um, yeah, so the village was beforehand and I just, I was very lucky in my um, work with what uh, I got a chance to be an assistant creative. Yeah. Um, they have a program that uh, helps with this because right. it's kind of, you know, you finish uni and there's nothing in between right. going into, uh, I don't know, yeah. yeah, in the theatre space. There's a few gaps for developing your skills as an artist when you're a younger artist. Mm. And um, when I was in uni, uh, I, as my honours, I had worked um, on a piece called Remembering Palestine. I was really interested um, because my family migrated here from the Middle East in um, talking to women who had migrated from the Middle East. Um, and I focused particularly in on Palestine and that was a verbatim theatre piece. So mm. I interviewed four people and then all the words in that production were words um, that they personally had shared but retold by younger um, women. Right. So I guess through that I had kind of, you know, um, started to developing started developing a practice in this area of sharing real stories on stage, um, and I guess marginalised stories on stage. Mm. Uh, and so when I applied to do the assistant creative program with Labot, I worked on the village. So that was. Uh, a interactive production which shared um, a number of people's experience from refugee backgrounds to small groups of audiences. So you went around to each station as an audience member and in a really intimate setting of you and 10 others, you would listen to their experience of their, their journey from one place to another and why they left. Um, so that was the village. And from there, a few years later, we did the neighborhood. And I was really lucky to come on board then as a co-director mm. rather than an assistant. Okay. Um, and with that production, you know, one of the learnings is was that telling the story to small groups was so powerful, but it was so draining for the people mm. um, and that um, it, it, we, we decided it was important to talk a little bit also about what our um, what our community is now rather than just mm. these like specific stories of the yeah. refugee experience yeah. Yeah. a little bit of that but also like what is our neighborhood now how do mm. we come together in this space if that is where some of us came from and the experience that some of us have had. Right. Um, so, yeah, the village, um, in the village, uh, Siavash, who is um, the um, older Iranian musician, um, came through and was also part of the neighbourhood production. Uh -huh. um, and a few people from the village came into the neighbourhood space and um, talked about their experience um, of sharing stories and helped guide a bit of that process with us and for us as well. Okay, right, right. And was that were they some of the musicians that we saw in the film? clip as well um so all of the musicians are from the neighborhood um oh, right. but yeah. yeah so in neighborhood um aurora little christy who now has an incredible um music project of her own soul child yeah um she 
performed. She shared some of her story, um, her experience as um, a First Nations and Jamaican um, woman and what it means to have like um, a mix of cultures. Mm. Uh, And she sang as part of that as well. And um, Matt Shu, of course, Siavash Aryan, Nima Duska, um, who now also still performs with the Obscure Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Navi Karan. Mm. Yeah, so uh, all the people featured in that video clip were the performers from that right. Um, production. Right, right. Uh, can you tell me more, give me a bit of an introduction to La Boite because I've never been, but I, I saw this beautiful postcard um, which to me has like such nice colours. Would, would you be able to have a go at having a, giving a nice audio description for this beautiful piece here? For this yeah. as Would itself? Would you just be able to describe it for yeah. people who aren't on the video? It's hard because I've seen some of the productions, so oh, I'm thinking okay. about oh. like what they are. So is it, is it um, representing them? Because I don't, I don't yeah, even know Yeah, this that. was in the, in the last year they um, created this, uh, I guess, cartoon yeah. um, version of um, a number of their productions as their uh, promotional material. Uh-huh. Um, and so on one side we can see um, uh, a person in a yellow dress with a photo taking, a camera taking a selfie. Um, and that was a production called Seven Ways of Killing Kylie Jenner, um, which was a f- fantastic production that they put on earlier in the year. Right. Um, and at the end, we can see a group of um, five women in lavender purple, um, which was uh, from Anita Heiss's um, Titters or Sisters, uh-huh. um, which is a novel, a book that um, she then worked with a number of people to turn into a play. Right. Um, the story of uh, five um, First Nations women in the Brisbane suburbs and their book club. And so a, a snapshot of their life. Yeah. So Le Boite is one of the, um, a number of theatres in Brisbane, um, but particularly uh, in the last few years um, they've been doing um, a really beautiful job of starting to try to share a more diverse range of stories Mm. because the theatre industry itself um, has been lacking that for a long time Um, so it's really nice to start to see more independent theatre that is new stories so not just Shakespeare um, and new Australian stories um, and also stories that share a range of different experiences. I think it's really important. And, um, yeah, I think that that, you know, when we did The Neighbourhood, we had um, a really big audience um, of high school students come through. um, And that was uh, some of the feedback that we had. You know, particularly I remember one day where um, the students from Yoronga came and that was one of the first times that they'd seen representations of themselves on stage. Um, and then one of those students came back and we did um, The Time Is Now. She was one of the performers in The Time Is Now. And um, I think, yeah, it's just really important and powerful for young people to see representations of themselves on stage, but also for 
all young Australians to start to talk about what is our neighbourhood now and yeah. how do we make that a space that we can share and come together when we, yeah, when there's so much dark history mm. <laughs> from colonisation mm. and um, racism and these things that have followed through as part of this, like, post, uh, this um, settler colony um, and the current um, situation that colonization has or the effect that it leaves on our lives. Mm, mm. Yeah, and when you think of how that plays out in current theatre spaces, it can often play out in like unexpected ways. For example, I work with a, a literary event down south and we've had some big struggles with, um, obviously when you're sitting down and doing panels, the style of microphone that we use is not, not this one right here, but it's a, like a thin... Uh, headset microphone and uh, to find that piece of equipment in a skin tone neutral uh, shade was like quite quite a challenge and something we were noticing with some of the so we have a, a main main venue in a main location with all of our halls where we bring in our own production but some of the satellite events happen in other big well-established um, noted venues and some of them only had um, the, the the beige skin tone headsets in stock as well. And I'm aware that at least one of them was then shamed on stage in a conversation panel that was happening in their event. And then they flicked around and then they got and they got some black or, or neutral tone ones. And it's it's it can be sort of strange and surprising how these things pop up in these spaces. But it, it does sound like the feeling that I got from this um, this postcard was that just like a, 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 a nice a nice sense of visibility and it's it's nice to hear that from your experience they are actively um, engaging in programs that that bring in would you say junior creatives or like w w how would you describe that program yeah junior and emerging artists I guess right to right. help um, further their skills okay. i think there's still you know there are, is still a long way to go in terms of yeah a lot of that stuff the infrastructure yeah. in theater spaces but also i think there's this idea of theater as one of those high arts you know and yes some of and that does that mean those ideals <laughs> yeah come come so much from this idea of both class and these colonial ideas of civilized civilized and there's still within the space that I work you know I work with non-actors or community right um with community and there there's still uh views of that as not real art or real theater right um yeah so it's really interesting um also within companies uh there's starting to be a lot more representation on stage, but the representation backstage in the technical staff and administration is a slower, slower change. And you feel it. All right. You f do feel it as a real, um, it has real effects when you have a cast of all um, people of colour, um, queer people and this sort of thing. And, you know, maybe your marketing team or maybe your um, administrators who are paying um, don't necessarily come from those backgrounds and don't have understand right. like understanding yeah um yeah it's yeah it's slow right slow and you know in each thing that's a new thing it's 
a lot of learning, which can be really painful and challenging right. at the same time as important and good. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And and I, I know when I can, I can start to see myself represented on the stages that I'm working on, but again, in the technical team, I'm not feeling so represented. I often feel like there's this extra, extra burden or extra extra labor that, that, that we tend to take on that's often in these like hushed conversations. Like, do you feel some of that as well? Like, Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, yeah, things that uh, feel um, really commonsensical to me, like or make a lot of sense um, are really, yeah. you know, that you can't, you can't, um, you have to come from the very beginning with people sometimes right. and just, uh, yeah. And also I, I guess I get shocked, like so things will happen and then what is missing a little bit and what I hope we will start to build more of is like the aftercare that's part of those journeys. You know, with a production, you, you have this intensive, you're together, yeah. you're there, um, uh, like 20, not 24 hours a day, but 15 hours a day, yeah. you know, putting on this work. Um, but then the money's finished, the engagement is finished. And how do you make sure that people are okay? And how do you integrate that learning within a company right. um, to take it forward? Yeah. Um, but again, like, uh, I think the theatre companies are starting to um, do this a little bit and look what um, some of the staff have done now. We did a whole set of training with Multicultural Australia and QPAST mm. with everyone in the staff team yep. um, after that production of The Neighbourhood, but hopefully that's something that's really helpful um, in future because there, there are a lot of challenges working with a range of people from a range of different communities yeah. Um, yeah. that you need to like build awareness around and start considering if you want to bring those communities into your space how do you make sure that you can support them right, right. yeah i'm not sure if it's the exact word you use but what is it about like these sort of pre the prestige and the uh, i don't know the fancy echo chamber elements of the arts or the high arts like like what what is that and <laughs> honestly i don't understand it but that's me i think um i don't know when that shift happened because i do think that theater in particular and other art forms you know they were really of the community mm. you know when people talk about for example shakespeare yeah. there used to be thousands of people in you know a community theatre for free coming to watch these productions right. every day. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure when or how that happened. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's time for it to change, I think. And because I think that for me, like sometimes I go to see a production with the most incredible actors um, and, you know, incredible technical elements. But yeah. It's not, it doesn't have the same soul. And right. so I'm not as connected as with something where, you know, maybe it's not the most incredible production value, yeah. but um, it's a really real story or it's something new that I've never seen before right. um, or it's something that's interactive and yeah. really makes me think. Yeah. So 
yeah, I hope we keep building a range of those things. And also that there sort of there is more skill sharing and more bringing of different people into um, creative spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. All of those artists from um, the neighborhood were incredible performers. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I don't know if it's because of that production, but all like all of them have gone and are um, doing a lot of different work mm. in creative spaces. Yeah. Um, me and Nima and Amer um, in the past few years have um, been working with Labuat and um, a few different organisations in going into schools yeah. and using theatre as a way to work with young people, not necessarily for any performance outcomes, mm. but um, in as, I guess a tool for allowing people to express themselves, but also education through play, which I think when you have moved to a country and you're in your teenage years um, and all of a sudden you're like trying to sit, um, you know, your English test and these sorts of things. Mm. Uh, But yeah, it's really important to bring in that education, um, that playful education element to um, help and to help people achieve yeah. Right, right. And uh, are you an educator yourself? Yeah, so um, at the moment I've been uh, teaching at QUT and at the QUT International College. Okay. Um, so I do that as, I guess, my main job that yeah. I get my income from. Yeah. Um, and then we've done these workshops um, and I love working with young people um, for the production um, with Le Bois. The time is now. Uh, yeah, that was incredible. Working, we worked with a range of young people from twelve um, to eighteen, and they shared their political ideas on the stage, um, and that was a beautiful production because uh, an adult had to come, had to listen to the whole thing, and then yeah. get up and respond okay. to them as part of the. Production and we got a range of people who I guess are leaders in our community right. to come in. Um, yeah, and it was yeah really nice because I guess a lot of those young people they were so different and they'd had such such different experiences in their life. Yeah. Um, but all of them were carrying this weight, like this responsibility, maybe around climate or um, being the uh, only person in their family who spoke English, so doing all of the paperwork and this sort of thing for their parents. So this range of like these heavy responsibilities um, and it was nice for them to be like, can you take this back <laughs> to the adults? Like mm. actually we, we can't vote, we can't do these things yet, so you need to be doing something about this now. You can't leave this weight on us. Um, yeah. So kids are amazing and young people are amazing. And uh, again, like the political ideas of children are not often listened to Mm. um, or taken seriously, Mm. but they're really important ideas to listen to. So yeah, it's been, that production was so special in getting to um, share some of those um, ideas and viewpoints and also just, yeah, work with those young people and um, learn for myself 
from their experiences. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I guess with with instances like the the school climate strikes and the, the youth climate strikes, I think it's th- those sort of voices are not going away. They're only rising and making themselves heard and kind of triggering adults in our responses to, <laughs> to what they get up to. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of things that we talk about um, or that, that are like uh, issues for young people, they exist in our community. You know, for example, bullying yeah. is a huge part of our adult community. Right, like, yes. Like maybe it's more um, pervasive mm. and cruel because mm. it's often like ra- racism or like workplace bullying, yeah. but it, it still fits into that category, you know? So it's important... I don't know. I think we also, when we hear those stories or see that, it's a bit of a mirror yeah. as to our own um, lives as adults. Right, right. One of the things with that production, The Time Is Now, that I learned a lot from was those young people together mm. and them having to learn to hold each other in that space um, and how important that was for all of them in growing and Mm. how much they grew. Mm. And so I think it's also about how we structure learning and community in our society Mm. because when you do have integration, like, and, yeah, there's different things that happen when you're in a space where you have to take responsibility for your own, um, yeah, experiences. And the young men who were in that production – you know, they, they were told <laughs> about um, from the young women. Yeah. Like quite clearly one of the um, people who uh, was part of that production, Sarah, she talked, her speech, her political speech was about what it is to be a young woman and the things that she has to think about that she shouldn't have to think about. Mm. Like, you know... Are there, is there anything in her bag she could use as a weapon when she's walking home? Right. Is yes. there this and that? Yeah. And so the seeing those young men like hold that story and yeah, it was really beautiful and important. And that piece that she wrote was it was devastating, you know, that this fifteen year old girl is thinking about all of those things constantly. Um, but really important to share. What was the response to those? Like when those things were shared with the boys, like what was the response? Like I think that they were sad. Right. Yeah. 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 But I think it's in the, that that sharing, you know, because you you build a relationship with someone and then they share those experiences with you. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. And so all this work, I'm just trying to keep up with all the different projects here. So <laughs> what was that one called? Uh, the The time is now. The time is now. Okay. Right. Right. So you mentioned some of the development and the experience that I imagine was prior to the work. What was the work or the output itself? So the production was a piece where all 10 children shared a political speech. Right. Um, And then I guess we had different elements that brought, that kind of linked those together um, performatively. Yeah. And then uh, just before the end, the adult who'd come for that night, which was a different person each night, had to get up and respond, um, make a speech that responded. And then we finished the show. Yeah. So it was, yeah, pretty special. Um, And we snuck it in somehow in between 
uh, some of the um, lockdowns right. that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did that work with the adult responding? Like, were they both, like, I'm thinking of like a debate sort of sequence, like were they given time ahead or like how did that? Yeah, we sent them some information ahead. Okay, but some, some, not the whole speech, but an element. That we sent them a um, description okay. of what each young person was going to speak about. Mm-hmm. So people did very different things. Some yeah. people sat there <laughs> frantically writing notes the throughout spot. the production oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in order to respond. Some people had a pre-prepared script yeah. that they took. Um, yeah. Right, right. And and then that was performed to an audience of people, like is there a way you can describe the audience? Uh, just a general audience, yeah. Right. So it's a 300-seat theatre okay. when you have it in the thrust, which is how we had it with yep. three sides available. Okay, right. Yeah. And a mix, a mix of ages. Yeah. Um, more so, perhaps more so skewing towards the younger audience given that they were part of the production. Uh, not really. It was right. a range, yeah. At that time, a lot of schools had stopped doing bookings because of COVID. Okay. Right. Um, so it was just a range of general public who came, which included, yeah, lots of like young people right. because of the production itself, but yeah. also, um, yeah, a bunch of adults. And it was a really moving piece for right. lots of people right. in terms of, I think, when you... Um, a face with young people talking about difficult things. Yeah. It potentially brings up a lot of your own difficult things that maybe yeah. happened when you were a young person as well. Right, right. And we tried to, yeah, like not put anything off limits, but make sure we worked with those young people so that they were safe in what they shared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, your next production was Love Always Love. Is that right? Yeah. So um, towards the end of last year I worked on two different productions more I guess with a um, a smaller role uh, or like a slightly less engaged role um, with both of those of not being in the space all of the time um, yeah I, I, I love collaborating so on most of the productions that I've worked on obviously you're collaborating with the people you're creating yeah. um, and share whose story is being shared but also I've worked with um, yeah uh, two or three you know other directors and we collaborate together and I think it's a really important way to work when you're working with community so that there's different people for each um, for the performers to engage with right. as well. Right. Um, but yeah, with Love, Always Love, I, uh, that was a, a part of Bleach Festival and I was really excited. It was really beautiful to work with on that show because um, my dad's family come from Lebanon and the production featured um, uh, a Lebanese singer right. um, who shared a few of few stories that went with songs that she had written Um, and uh, a lot of the songs were in Arabic um, which was beautiful I'm doing the classic second slash third generation thing of trying to go back and learn Arabic because it's been lost in my family Um, so yeah it was really good for me to um, be a little bit immersed for a, a while in Samira's um, songs and uh, 
understanding what the lyrics meant and these sorts of things. And that was beautiful. It was on an outdoor stage. Bleach has a bunch of outdoor little areas as part of the festival. So it was on an outdoor stage um, down near the ocean. And uh, she told her story and then um, performed and the music was um, a collaboration between her and some Australian-based um, artists um, and a range of different instruments and things that they recorded. Right, right. So last year, um, and then with Brown Church, it was a, an incredibly musical year in my practice, yeah. which I really loved. Yeah. Um, yeah, my dad's a musician, so I did grow up with a lot of music okay. in my life, so it was great to do some work where a lot of music was involved and I feel like I learned a lot through that. Um, but Brown Church was with Navi, um, who I got to know really well through the neighbourhood. Right. Um, and it, it ended up being, I guess, mostly dance and poetry combined. So it was um, Navi's music um, and her poetry. Yeah. And then... Uh, Again, a big cast of about eight people um, dancing on stage um, to, I guess, support or, I guess, movement that linked with the themes mm. that were part of the production and music as part of Brisbane Festival. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And again, I, I, I'm not a dancer and I don't really do choreography, but I guess I came in with that piece more as a dramaturg yeah. of coming in um, every now and then and having an outside eye and trying to give some outside perspective on what was translating clearly and um, which parts were um, yeah needed more movement or which parts were... Uh, too long or, you know, I guess that more outside perspective that you lose when you're in the depths of creating something right, can yeah. be really helpful okay. and important right, <laughs> in right. that setting. Right, right. Yeah, because previously I've, I've chatted with with Kalpana about her involvement in the, the choreography side. And so in this production, you're working with spoken word, uh, dance, movement, um, physical theatre. Like where are the where are the sort of boundaries around those different elements? And uh, you also mentioned dra dramaturg. Like, how do you how do you kind of see things in that environment? And what are the edges there? I don't know. To be <laughs> honest, I think they're very blurred. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Um, particularly when you're doing dance, it's more expressive. You know, mm. physical theatre. It's usually ugly. It's not very pretty, okay. um, which is maybe how I would distinguish it from dance. Yeah. Um, many physical theatre forms um, are quite rigid. And, you know, um, for example, there's a physical theatre form, Buto, which was developed in Japan and it came um, after the um, uh, bombing of Hiroshima and right. it expressed the... the uh, ugliness of that and as part of that people they shave their entire body they paint themselves with gold and lead paint and they perform um, movements that look very contorted Whoa. and represent uh, yeah the um, the terrible effects that that had on humanity yeah um, so I don't know there's so many different kinds of physical theater but I guess that's 
a little bit the difference is mm-hmm. it's um, more expressive of story or experience, um, but in a way that's not stylish or beautiful. Right. Whereas I, when I see dance, I, you know, yeah. it's beautiful. It's right. so beautiful. So, yeah, it was really interesting, like, working on bringing that together. And it was really fantastic to collaborate with Kelpana. I loved the way, you know, many of the performers hadn't danced on a you know on a main stage production before yeah, yeah um so she did an incredible job and also people had different dance experience and right. very different ways of moving their body yeah a part of the production that was really nice was um that navi really wanted to bring in a range of people with a range of different bodies and from a range of different backgrounds because mm. that's of not what you see in dance yeah particularly yeah, yeah. um or on stage that often so that was a part of the idea. So Kalpana did a beautiful job of working with people and yeah, she's so good at um, the way that she explains movement or demonstrates movement to help teach it when you're right. not someone who, yeah. yeah. You know, I okay. know that from also Bring a Plate where yeah. I've gone and she, yeah, I can't, I'm so bad at choreography, <laughs> but sometimes I get it when I go to Bring a Plate. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah, yeah. I feel like I can dance. <laughs> I love dancing, but choreography is so hard. It's this part of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand I how people are so good at learning and <laughs> Doing it all. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel similar. Like I had a, a very brief, very brief experience with choreography and dance as a kid and then just nothing until until very recently. And Bringer Plate's been such a great reintroduction to that. I, I love going and just picking up um, little moves. And But then physical theatre and dance, are they usually void of any vocal element? Um, physical theatre does have voice. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not always, but sometimes. Right. Right. And so in this case, was it Navi's vocals and poetry that was the main vocal element throughout yeah. the production? Yeah. Within, that ended up being the only okay. vocal element. Yeah. Um, we, Navi had a very um, ambitious, like, want to uh, include her entire album that yeah. she'd recorded, yeah. which ended up being too much. We did have to cut. I think two songs we ended up cutting, but yeah. we did the rest, right. which I think ended up being eight wow. songs as yeah. part of that. Um, but it was tight. We had to yeah. fit it all in. It was go, go, go. Right. Um, but yeah. And is that is that a challenge where you have something that's quite, I guess in, in this case you were able to go, okay, look, this is going to be a two-hour production or something if we do that. Um is that quite a challenge where someone has like has has a body of work that they've pre-written and then you're trying to mold it into a new shape? Was that was that a challenge of the production? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think you know how do you with the time limit? That's what we ended with. And maybe if we'd had more time, it would be different. But how do you make um, that a collaborative work? You know, for example, with Kitchen Eve. Eve had these ideas and these pieces that she'd written and came in with. Yeah. Um, And it was really challenging. But in order to bring the two pieces together, she ended up having to go. I had to make her go home and rewrite things. Right. Um, So, yeah, it depends. I think I do really love working from the before stage yeah. with people even yeah. though that has its own challenges yeah. but I 
I guess that's where I feel like my skill sets. It's a bit more, which is like before anyone's written anything, we come into a space because I love that collaboration. I love that process of sitting down with really big ideas and you're just <laughs> wading through them, but you're having these discussions and conversations, which is just fascinating and learning so much about people and who they are and what's important to them. Mm. Um and it's big and exhausting. Yeah. Like in the neighborhood, it was so exhausting. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, performers, Amer, had arrived seven months ago uh, before we did that production um, from Syria and had um, lived through uh, war, had lived through war. And so, you know, like in, sh in listening to some of his stories, which he shares so openly and really wants to talk about, um, yeah, it was huge. It was just so huge. Um, and I'm not even someone who's lived through war, like some yeah. of the other performers had also lived through war. Mm. And so you've got all these <laughs> elements of exhaustion from sharing and listening to people's experiences, but it's so powerful. Like I love, I just, that's the bit I love. I love people coming together and yeah. just talking. It, do you feel it in some of the, like, is there like breakthrough moments where they go, oh, right, those two ideas come together and we can represent that like that? Like, is it something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. And, you know, um, also the elements, like the sound design and lighting, you know, sometimes that will be the breakthrough moment or the set design. Mm. Um yeah, and what you do with the set. In the neighbourhood, we had a kind of like a donut. So before the production and before we'd got anyone in the room, yeah. because it was such a tight timeline for the show, we met with the set designer and he came up with something before we had a show. So the stage kind of helped us build the show right. in some elements. Yeah. But it was eight pieces because there were eight performers that fit into a donut okay. and a little plank in the middle that could rotate around the pieces. And so there were parts where we broke it all apart and they were all separate pieces. Okay. And then we ended up coming to this idea of bringing it back together for the end. All right. Um, yeah, so at, also those elements, like that's that that magic of theatre moment where the, the elements that you add and are part of it help um, to tell the story, but they magic, they're part of the magic that helps those stories sit together in space. Yeah. Nice, nice. Was it, um, love always love where you would, where you were saying there was elements of language. Um, how did you approach that sort of diaspora learning of language? Because for myself, I, I did it in a real immersive way of going back to Sri Lanka and like throwing myself in it for a few years and wasn't necessarily the easiest experience either, like trying to learn it out on the street initially before I found some good classes. Um, how was that experience for you? Look, I've been learning Arabic for like three years and yeah. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm so bad. Um, one of the challenges with Arabic is that every um, dialect is incredible. Like we call it a dialect, but actually it's almost a totally different language. Right. Um, so 
at the moment, I have a teacher who's teaching me spoken Lebanese. Mm. Um, I meet her on Zoom. Yep. Me and my auntie are doing it together and some of my cousins as nice. well. We're all kind of on this journey. Um, and she lives in Beirut and it was also a way to support right. someone there yeah. because life there is really hard, particularly economically and financially at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to focus on spoken Lebanese, but you, if I speak to someone who's um, Egyptian or even Syria and Jordan and Palestine, you yeah. know, the Arabic's similar, but still some of the words are different. But if I speak to someone Egyptian or Iraqi, it's totally different words. It's honestly <laughs> a totally different language. And formal Arabic, which is what's written um, and read and spoken on the news, is a totally different language yeah, again. Yeah. So that's been a big challenge. Um, I did a similar thing of uh, I'd done a, a tiny bit of study and then I went to Palestine for three months and I worked with a theatre company there. And In yeah, language? Well, luckily, lots of people could speak English. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that was helpful okay. because I, I had this like, I'll come back semi like semi-fluent and I, I did not know such a thing. It was so challenging. I could, ha like I did, I did study. Yeah. I had classes there every day, yeah. but I still made like so little headway because I realized you do need a foundation before you go somewhere. Um, and again, a lot of the spoken language, there was differences to what I had learned previously. Ah, um, oh, because it's a different it's, dialect. Okay, right. I was going to say it's because it's an evolving contemporary thing. Like it, language also shifts over time. If you're learning from our parents' generation, it may not be yeah. up, up to date with slang and, and that also sort of thing, right? just culturally. That's one of the things with the dialects is culturally. You know, in Lebanon, you say "How are you?" to someone. They say they always will say "I'm good," whereas in Palestine, they said "I'm okay." But it's a different word. Right. And when you're learning a different language, that's such a big difference, even if it's so small to people who yeah. speak that language fluently. Right, right. So, yes, it's a it's a long process that I've embarked on. Um, but even in the first production that I worked on um, and did my honours research, Remembering Palestine, um, I worked with... I was very lucky that some of the performers helped me to translate mm. um, elements of that. So that production we did, um, there was maybe 30% of it was in Arabic um, and English. And um, with that, and it's it's interesting working with bilingual stuff, um, but we with that particular production, we would repeat most things. So they'd be said in Arabic and then in English, from some of the characters. Mm. Um, and then you'd leave like one or two little things that were just for the people in the audience who could speak Arabic. Uh, and then in the neighbourhood, we had bilingual elements as yeah. well. In Welcome to the Neighbourhood, you can hear a little bit there where Nima um, raps in Farsi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's I really love working bilingually and then... and you there's an element of what's known and who understands which is really powerful and interesting to work with yeah. in the context of an audience right, right. Um, I was gonna ask is there an approach to try and caption it or is just not well, it's language just there I have seen one production that was captioned and yeah. there is 
yeah, a little bit of that. Mm. Um, yeah, I it's it it's hard because you're trying to watch the people and read the text. Mm. So personally, I like it when it's not captioned yeah, more, yeah. and where you have to feel the feelings of that person, yes. and sometimes you have to accept that you're not you don't understand. And you're the one out of the loop in yeah, that setting, right. which I think is important. In the village, that was one of the um, Todd McDonald, who was the director of that. He really wanted the audience to feel uncomfortable, to in some way mirror the experience that refugees have. So everyone was given a color coded little lanyard, yeah, and the the performers would specifically try and split up friends and people who'd come together and they were yelling instructions at them in different languages at wow. the very beginning. Whoa. And so everyone kind of doesn't understand what's happening. They've got, um, they've been given this lanyard in a different color. And then that formed the small groups that made the little intimate audiences that wow. went to each thing. But the idea was that we tried to separate people and tried to just for a moment in that beginning bit, give them that experience of being out of the loop, like instructions yelled at you in a language that you don't know and being separated from people. Oh. Um, I guess, you know, it does not, it, there's no way you can reflect the gravity of what that feels like no. in a setting where you're not, not safe. Yeah. But to just try, yeah, just a tiny moment, which was interesting. And um, the responses to that were really um yeah, interesting from an audience. Get any walkouts or anything? Or? Oh, definitely. Like some of the teenagers were not happy about, <laughs> about it. But yeah, and also adults. Um, yeah, people trying to swap their lanyard to be with the people that they want to. Yeah, really interesting responses to it right. and reflections on it. They would do a Q&A after with any school groups who came in. Mm. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I noticed that you don't necessarily publish too much about your work often as artists and creatives we're told that oh if you're doing stuff you need to tell people about it you need to be posting you need to be doing all these things what is your approach to connecting with work and getting gigs in this world i guess i have been very lucky that it's also sad, but in this space in Brisbane, this kind of theatre is new um, and there, there are not many people who specialise in this kind of theatre. So mm. I've been very lucky in the opportunities that I've got. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm terrible online, um, and, but I'm very engaged in community. Right. And I do a lot and see a lot of people on, I love all those community kind of events. When I'm in a production, I do do a lot of, stories on my Instagram. Right. Okay. Um, to, to get people to come along. But I, I find for me, you know, I'll, I'd, I'd rather send a message to a group of 10 people and maybe I send like 200 messages out, but inviting people, sending them the link, yeah. um, who I think would get a lot out of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely, particularly at the moment, tickets and these sorts of things. It's really challenging. Um, you know, in a theatre space, the ideal world, everyone has booked their ticket well in advance so you know who's coming when. Um, but 
you know, post-COVID lockdowns and even I, I book a ticket the day before because I don't know if I'm going to get sick beforehand and if I'm going to be able really? to attend. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's definitely changed the landscape a lot. Um, and also those community connections and where you see people and who are part of your community really shifted, uh, for me at least. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I do think we, ticket sales have been fairly good for so many of the works that I have worked on. Um, and I think that that's an element of like having a cast that's quite big. So everyone brings a few people. Yeah, but yeah. also the, our communities are ready for these stories. They're really wanting it. And uh, school groups are really interested in it. And, you know, I think it's come at a time where finally people really want this work. And so I think if you can make things that speak to people now about their world now, you um, that sometimes does a bit of that work of bringing people to see it. Right. Yeah, but I have a, I guess you'd call it a really grassroots approach to um, advertising things yeah. and bringing things. Um, together and also when you've worked on something for a long time like over six months or a year just talking to people about it um, and being obsessed by it because <laughs> it's amazing yeah and exciting and you're sharing like 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 you said when you're in a production you make more of an effort to post stories and so people are kind of invested in the creation of the work so that when they see the work pop up they've kind of been along with you been yeah along with you for the journey yeah i don't really think that there are spoilers i don't really agree yeah. with that yeah um but also in different productions different people have different ideas about that yeah. you know like um in brown church navi had a clear idea of when the music would be released mm -hmm. for example which is different in the music world you do have to have a set date where yes. you release music yeah um and that it shouldn't be shared before that Right. When obviously we were already rehearsing with... Oh, with unreleased music. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's different elements of that that um, come into play. Um, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't think, I don't have that idea of like spoilers or that you shouldn't post yeah. things because it's also not what it is in like in that space. Mm. If you post little snippets, yeah. it never in my view, tells the whole story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Do you do a lot of online? Uh, particularly particularly recently, I've, I've been been ramping things up, been on, on a bit of a blitz. So I've been trying to take some advice from mentors that I've known for some time um, that uh, much like with, with your productions, like when you, when you share your work in progress, people feel a little bit more invested in the end product rather than just like working away in some dark cave going, I'm going to perfect this thing. And then bah, here it is, everyone come embrace my thing. It's kind of like, yeah, I've been, I think, uh, what is the author, the author behind steal like an artist and show your work, Austin Cleon. I'm quite inspired by that model to just try and keep producing um, and and sharing. And um, some of the mentor advice has been also like, you run a production company, you have more, <laughs> uh, obviously the equipment all around all around us is not just used for this, it's used on productions as well. So so this as a passion project is relatively efficient for me to, to create. And it's also 
um, unlike, say, you creating a production or unlike me creating a documentary, I don't have to sit down and edit and make a story arc after this. It's kind of learning from some of my work with the ABC where we just sit down and have a conversation, then it goes out and it's done. Mm. So um, there's some of my current ideas around publishing content and producing stories. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's been ramping up a bit a bit lately and I'm kind of enjoying enjoying that process. Yeah. yeah, I think there's definitely something around I really love having as many people invested as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um because you build a community around something, it makes it more important yes. in my view, but also it helps me be accountable <laughs> and right. actually get things done. Yeah. Like having people engaged and um like as in like okay I was I was at this point this week and the, oh look look I'm over here now this week like that sort of thing like showing yeah progress. or even yeah um, for example with remembering Palestine so that was my very first production and yeah. it was also my honors research but once I had interviewed four women I was like I <laughs> I have to yeah put this on yes. there's no ifs or buts yes these four people have shared these incredibly personal but important stories with me. And so, you know, then when I got four performers involved, younger people from the Middle Eastern community, again, I was like, yeah, we have to do it. But also they were like, yeah, we have to do it. Let's create this. Let's make it happen. And um, there I got some musicians on board. The piece had live music with it. Um I got some people to come and film it who got really excited about it. Yeah. I, um, one of the performers had a Middle Eastern style cafe and that's where we performed it. Okay. Um, we got a community group that one of the Palestinian um, restaurants in Brisbane to make the food for the performance. So by that stage you have... So many people from the community. And then um, we also had the Palestinian dance troupe performed at the end. So I don't know, I, like it was so special in how many people within the community were engaged and involved in it that it it also no longer is yours. It's like mm. ours yeah. that we're creating. Yes, And I love that moment of handover where it becomes more, yeah, more than what it started as. Right, right. Greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. Yeah. You work with, like we've talked about uh, elements of you chasing origins, chasing language. I would imagine that a lot of the people you're working with, you could be touching on the idea of, of home and like what is home to them. Uh, but I'd like to ask you, what is home to you? Oh my gosh, the deep and big philosophical questions. Yeah. Um, home to me is community of people. Um, but it, it is, it's definitely been an interesting one. My mum grew up in uh, London. So I've gone and visited the UK a lot and London in particular, I've been many times now. And when I'm on the train heading in to the city from the airport, there's, there is really this feeling of this really familiar place. Um, and then with, uh, like my my dad grew up in Australia, but there's like Lebanese culture is very strong. It's this strong culture and maybe also because it was different and I grew up post 9-11 mm. or like in that time, 
being an Arab and yeah. from the Middle East yeah. um, was for highlighted in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been. You know, someone yeah. asked me if I view myself as a person of color at some point, and I said, you know, like it's 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 it is not clean cut. You know, <laughs> I come from different. My family's come from different places, but I think that that element of othering that was part of my teenage years yeah. um, and being very aware of your otherness um, makes me like, I feel like I sit within that space a little bit more or within a migrant space, even though I'm second or third generation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but yeah, I had that classic experience of, you know, your lunch that you bring to school and all these things and being like, oh, okay, well, I'm so excited to go to Lebanon. And me and dad went when I had just finished school. Yeah. And then you get there and you feel like the most Western person ever. Yeah. You know, in Lebanon, um, particularly ideas of um, beauty right. are really heavily affected by... Um, Western ideals. So like lots of women have plastic surgery and right. these sorts of things. And yeah. there's me who's grown up in this um, lefty alternative like feminist family <laughs> <laughs> with like all my body hair and <laughs> just being shocked. I don't know. There were lots of things, yeah. including that, that, um, you know, I went there being like, I'm going to find my people with like all the body hair and the big noses and <laughs> I went there and it was the opposite. Like wow. they, this um, this way that Western beauty standards integrates itself in um, uh, an international setting was really confronting for me there. Um, but, yeah, there were lots of ways that I felt like I didn't fit there. And I think that's the classic when you come from more than one culture where you – um, or one place, even as something that's just been passed to you, that little bit of feeling that you are, you do have one foot in each place a little bit, and there's always going to be elements of you that don't fully fit one place and don't fully fit another. Yeah. So I think for me, the the people that I have around me and my family, but also my chosen community, um, really help to create a sense of home. And interestingly, what I have found without necessarily, like at one point I looked around and noticed that many of the people that I've um, attracted into my life or pulled into my life have are people who have a, a similar question um, yeah. of identity. Right. And I think that, yeah, I pulled them in or they pulled me in because you have a feeling of home with each other within that, like, um, <laughs> doubt. <laughs> about As if this resonance <laughs> of this lingering question brings us all together and yeah. resolves this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's how it works, right? <laughs> or you can just sit in the question together. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Well, I can I can definitely relate to that. But uh, Leah, thank you so much for joining us for the chat today. Thank you for having me.